I started really young. I am actually 11, 12 years old. I started messing around with bass guitar and playing with these different things. And then, um, then I actually moved to drums. My brother was into Steely Dan, so when I first you know, picked up the bass, I was playing the Steely Dan, um, Yes, Rush. Um, then, I'll Kiss. This was a band that I really loved. My, one of my teachers, actually a math teacher, uh, wanted to have a kind of a school of rock, which is what we actually have now. Um, and we basically got some different kids. I was playing drums and singing, and we got different kids. You know, we have X amount of singers, a keyboard player, etc. And we did that for a while. We just um, would do that, and we played all the functions, the dances, and all, all the different stuff. So this went on for, ah, I was like 13. And then um, that summer, I was out playing at a band called Topaz. We were out playing on Long Island. And then a manager came over and said to me, listen, you want to go on the road? I said, with who? He said, this guy, Gary U.S. Bonds. And um, at that, that point, I was like 14. That's right. Um, and then next thing you know, Gary <laughs> tells me, I go to Gary's house, and he says, okay, listen, guess what? You're going to go on the road. We're going to meet us in Florida. You take the car, the truck, and everything. Meet us down there. I don't rehearse. You put the whole thing together, and then that's it. So next thing you know, I was playing with Gary U.S. Bonds. So I did that for what? 14, 15, then I moved on to the Flamingos and then made a big jump, ended up with the Plasmatics. And that happened, um, I actually was living in New Jersey for a while. So I'm living in New Jersey, I'm living in this apartment, and um, one day I come home, get there, next thing you know I see all these fire trucks out front, and um, it turns out the building had burnt down. So all my stuff was gone, and the city gave me a check for like $120. So I took that $120, I went to Canal Street, and I actually ended up buying a shot leather jacket. <laughs> that was the beginning of my whole punk career. So at this point, what am I? Yeah, 17, yeah, 17, uh, 18. Then I ended up joining um, this band called NYN in New York City. We ended up opening for this band called The Plasmatics. Next thing you know, I see an ad up for the Plasmatics and um, went to some auditions. They were just starting out as the very beginning of the band. And the next thing you know, um, I ended up joining the Plasmatics. First time I went, I joined the Plasmatics, I went to a loft that they had in Tribeca. And um, they would rehearse all the time. The manager had this kind of policy where it's like a nine to five job and you rehearse all the time. So I first met Wendy. <laughs> she was a pretty funny girl. She was like, uh, you know. She always liked the fact that I spoke French, I was a little bit, you know, proper, but at the same time I was the punk guy with the mohawk, so she really got a kick out of that the whole time, and yeah, she was a, quite a trip. So we, um, we actually started rehearsing, and we had to also get up in the morning and go get all the stuff that we were going to blow up before the show. So we'd actually find the Cadillac, we'd go buy the guitars, we'd go buy all the different stuff that we were going to, you know, demolish or blow up that night during the show. And the shows were the wildest ever. Plasmatic shows were the wildest. We blew up Cadillacs on stage, chickens falling from the ceiling. Uh, she'd shoot that shotgun. She got me a couple of times with that shotgun, even though and it was blanks, but you still feel it. Um, Richie was just a trip six foot seven with that tutu running around in those outfits. It was just, I think, one of the wildest bands, you know, ever. And I don't know if the world will ever, will ever see anything like that again. You know, we played CBGBs. That was the very beginning, the Palladium. I can remember one show on Long Island. It was the Calderon. I think it was the Calderon Theater. 
where basically we blew up a car and we had this pyro guy who, we actually trained him on the roof. So he didn't really know what he was doing. And every time he'd put this pyro in the car for the hood to blow up, he never knew how much stuff he was going to put in there. One day, the hood would go 20 feet. Next day, it'd go 70 feet. You just never knew. So we um, were playing this Calderon Theater, and the hood that day went probably up about 60 feet, or really high up. And basically, the whole theater curtain went on fire. People were running out. Fire department was there. It was, it was one of the wildest shows, that's for sure. So I finally thought it was time, you know, I just... You know, I, I just thought that plasmatics were kind of going in a different direction. The manager wanted to take the band in a heavy metal direction. I just didn't think it was the right thing. I thought that the feeling, basically a black guy with a blonde mohawk, Wendy, uh, Richie, the way the band was set up, the opposites and the combination I felt created something for the band. And I thought that that magic was going to be gone. Besides the fact of, you know, we blew up cars on stage, we do all these crazy things. That photo shoot that we did in Arizona with the helicopters and everything. So we were already starting to think about blowing up a city. <laughs> so it's like, I just said, this is getting like a little bit ridiculous. So anyways, I ended up leaving the band. I had a little falling out with the manager at the time. And also it was the, it was the time I'd gone out with David Lee Roth, believe it or not, who came to one of the last plasmatic shows that I was in. And we had a little chat and kind of encouraged me to kind of go on my own. And um, so next thing you know... I end up going out there looking, you know, what am I going to do next? The first call I get is from Prince. And he says, listen, I'd love you to play bass with me. And, um, and also I'll produce your solo record, you know, different things. And I really didn't want to play with anybody. I wanted to have a you know, solo career. So I said no to him. <laughs> then I was helping the Billy Idol guys, you know, Billy and Steve Stevens to find a bass player. I didn't really want to do that. And then, um, but I couldn't get a deal. Nobody would sign me. They'd say, you know, if you want to blow up a car, great. But, uh, you know, singing, forget it. There's no chance you're gonna do that. So I end up meeting little Steven, who actually, his manager was the manager that had found me for Gary Response at the very beginning. I reconnect with him, he tells me you should meet little Steven, you know, maybe get involved with the Spring Street Sting crowd and everything. So I meet little Steven and he tells me, you know, you're never gonna get a deal <laughs> with the plasmatics. Nobody's gonna sign you, nobody's gonna take you seriously. But if you maybe take a little time and come do a couple albums with me, you know, you'll all of a sudden go from Plasmatics to Bruce Springsteen world and you'll get a lot of respect. And so maybe that's, and then from there, maybe it would be easier to get a deal. So I ended up doing exactly that. Um, I joined Steven, did a couple of, you know, tours through Europe, America with them, and did two albums, Men Without Women and, and Voices of America. And um, believe it or not, after doing that and spending a certain amount of time with him, um, I finally, ended up getting a solo deal. With Steven, we thought we'd get a deal through him. We put out the two records, and for some reason we didn't quite get a bite. So I had um, one offer from ABBA in Sweden for a single, it's a single deal in, in Stockholm. So I was about to leave, and I'm saying, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to go take this singles deal. I'm not gonna get this album deal that I wanna get. And then um, I have lunch with a good friend of mine. He's a great, turned out to be a great author. He was a publicist, a guy named Howard Bloom. So Howard Bloom takes me to lunch and says to me, before you leave for Sweden, there's one guy I want you to meet. And he's a manager, his name's Gary Kerfers. He handled, he, you know, brought Hendrix to America. He did a lot of cool stuff. And I think you guys should meet. So um, I end up going to Gary's office. I play him the one song, I had one demo. He said, okay, go to Sweden. I'll have you a deal in a, in a month. 
and I said, every label turned me down. Every label turned me down. There's no way you're going to get me a deal. And he says, like I said, go to Sweden. Don't sign anything. Go have fun. Go there for a month. Next thing you know, I get a phone call. Two weeks later from him, he says, you know, we're sending you a ticket. Richard Branson wants to meet you on his riverboat in London. He loves your record. He wants to give you a solo deal. So um, that kind of changed my life because things were really rough before that. It was really down to the wire with the singles deal, you know, the ABBA singles deal, and you know, things were really bad. But so this really changed things a lot. Then I get to, um, after I signed with Richard Branson, Virgin, that takes a, little, a minute to do that. Then Al Teller from Columbia um, all of a sudden says he wants to make a deal. So next thing you know, I have Richard Branson, Virgin, Al Teller, Columbia. So my life had really changed at that point. So we're getting ready to do this first single. Um, we go through the changes. I make the album. I recorded it at Media Sound. And, and um, Ab actually ended up making a deal with Abba. They gave me their recording studio for, I got I kept it for almost three, four years. You know, so it's, um, it was great. Uh, it was a great facility, digital recording machines, really advanced. It was really cool. So um, I make the record. Next thing you know, the next piece of good luck with this whole feel heat thing is um, we get a call from Stallone, who turns out that he went to Warner Brothers Pictures where they were editing my video. He saw Feel the Heat and decided that he wanted to make that the campaign for the Cobra film. And at that time, a lot of people don't know this, but the Cobra film had the biggest release of any film to date. It was like 2,300 screens and it beat the record for Rambo. So it was a huge advertising budget, the biggest you know, screen release of any film. So it was an amazing opportunity to get this song, Feel the Heat, to be a part of the advertising for that film and also to be in the film. And from there, you know, it was a hit. It was um, not as much of a hit as America, in America as I would have liked it to be, but it went top 10 to a lot of countries around the world and it was um, a very big hit for me. Decades later, I end up um, with a good resume of a lot of different stuff, you know, from working with Kiss and Lionel Richie and Debbie Harry and the Ramones, uh, a lot of film stuff, School of Rock, Christmas with the Cranks. I've had my band's Crown of Thorns and Voodoo X, my projects, you know, and, and solo stuff, um, the little Steven stuff we know about. And but there was a lot of other stuff, um, cameo of all people, NSYNC, K-pop. A lot of different things, but at this point I decided to put together, basically around my projects, uh, a two-volume set called Rock Masterpieces. And basically it's um, like a combination of my career. So it's got you know, a few songs from my solo records, some things from Crown of Thorns, some things from Voodoo X, and um, I've combined them onto a new record and uh, also remastered it so it sounds really fantastic, it sounds really modern. and. It's a great record. So I think that that's a good two album set, two volume set to kind of get a good idea of what my whole thing's about or what I've been doing throughout the years. It doesn't really cover the writing, but it covers at least, you know, my soul things and my band projects. Check it out.